welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from BearMarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage and your sex life. Mm-hmm. And I am joined today by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. She is the co-author of our book, The Great Sex Rescue, and one of the co-authors of our upcoming book, She Deserves Better. That's right. Our other co-author will be joining us later in the podcast. Mm-hmm. But to- now we wanted to talk about what we talked about last week, but take it a little bit further. Yes. So later in the podcast, we're going to be sharing with you something that evangelicals just made up yep. in the 70s and 80s, and it became gospel truth. And it's something that we need to be aware of in mm-hmm. youth groups. But before we get to that, um, we want to turn to something that we talked about last week yeah. in our podcast on dating. So we have an amazing book that is launching April 18th. Mm-hmm. It is called She Deserves Better. Yep. Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up. And why don't you tell people about our survey? Sure. Our survey, we did a brand new survey of 7,000 women where we asked about some, we wanted to get really deep into some questions that are typically um, more applicable during high school Mm -hmm. than they are later on. So we wanted to really get into like the effects of the modesty message, right? More stuff about dating, Mm -hmm. about those kinds of things. Because while we had the Great Sex Rescue that assessed the effects of marriage teachings that you hear as a grown up, Mm -hmm. we also wanted to really understand what are our high school experiences? What are our adolescent experiences doing to set our girls up in the church? Are we setting them up for success? Or are we actually priming them for disappointment, for frustration, for harm? Yeah, because that was the biggest question that we got after Mm -hmm. the Great Sex Rescue. So many women said to us, okay, Sheila, I... I feel so much better now. I feel validated after reading the book, but I do not want to do this to my daughter. Yeah, what What do I do now? What do I, I do have now? a 13-year-old. I have a 15-year-old. What do I do? So we decided we would take a data-driven approach. Of course. So we measured all of these different beliefs mm-hmm. to see how they affected girls' self-esteem in high school mm-hmm. and their self-esteem today as women, mm-hmm. um, their relationship health, all yep. kinds of different measures. And it was super interesting. And last week, we shared with you um, the findings that we had around dating. Yes. Around dating rules, around whether girls dated in high school. And we talked about the really weird teachings that people like me heard growing up from places like Focus on the Family about how if you want to get a boyfriend, the mm-hmm. best thing that you can do is just do nothing. Right. Just it's trust just, God. It's just trust God and, and do another devotional and, yeah. and write in your journal and pray. Exactly. About not dating. About not dating. About God. Right. Yeah. And this and this would get... Because if you're praying about a boyfriend too much, then you're not trusting God enough. Right. Yes. Facebook exploded oh, about this. of course. We talked about this I was not media. the only one who heard this, clearly. Yeah. And I, I thought before we get into our next major finding, people wanted to talk about how this message really messed them up. And mm-hmm. so I want to I let our listeners hear some of the messages that were left on Facebook. Yeah, let's go. And then we can talk about it. Yeah. One woman said this. So many times I heard if we wanted a husband and didn't have one yet, it's because we wanted it too much and we needed to get our priorities straight. Once we were completely happy being single, the Lord would send the right man. It was like a formula. It went hand in hand with the secular advice of the right one will show up when you're not looking, which of course never fails to infuriate me. I'm married now and it still makes me mad. (laughs) That whole attitude did a lot of damage to my view of God and was a huge contributing factor to a period of spiritual rebellion in my mid-twenties after I had quote-unquote done everything right and God didn't deliver. Exactly. Okay, here's here's someone else who said something similar. Mm -hmm. I used to suppress my desire to be married because I thought I was supposed to be content with Jesus and I tried so hard to, but I wasn't content. My counselor at the time helped me realize that I really did desire a relationship and I should pursue that. Not long after that, I met my husband on Christian Mingle. 
I'm so thankful for that counselor who helped me see that repressing that desire wasn't good for me and encouraged me to seek a relationship. Yup. And if Christian Mingle wants to sponsor us. Oh, goodness. Yes. (laughs) Someone else said this. Yes, but it was more of the inverse of this. Basically that God wouldn't give me a boyfriend or husband until I stopped thinking about boyfriends or husbands because I was so focused on serving him. I think both of these come from the faulty assumption that idolatry equals loving something more than God. But God is not something that you put first on your list because God shouldn't be confined to a list. Rather, God is the very ground and air of our being. And I mean that metaphorically, God isn't actually the ground or the air. You know, and this is really why I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. About this today. Because, um, well, we do have some more findings we want to share with you that are really cool and they're coming up in just a minute um this really resonated with people on facebook and i think what's going on is that we ourselves when we were teenagers were given the wrong view of god oh and i'm worried that we are passing that same view on to our girls yeah because we are seeing god like this pagan deity that mm-hmm. needs to be appeased. Yeah. Because as soon as you want something too much, God will be angry at you and will play whack-a-mole. Yeah, exactly. I heard that all the time. I mean, this is what I grew up with, right? I grew up reading Brio Magazine and clearly a lot of the people on our Facebook group did too. <laughs> on the Facebook page did too. I think that what's so hard when you're growing up is you, in these, these circles, which teaches you, in essence, you are disgusting, Like Mm -hmm. everything about you is wrong. The only thing that's good about you is your ability to worship God, Mm -hmm. right? That's, that's in essence what we were told. So anything that you want, anything that you do, anything that you think, anything that you are that isn't actively worshiping God is second best. Yeah, and it's it's taking something away from what you ideally should be doing. Exactly, which is fundamentally different than what the Bible says, Mm -hmm. first of all. Like, we are made, like, in the Imago Dei, in human form. God came down and was incarnate, like, he was incarnated. He Mm -hmm. became flesh. We are allowed to be human beings. God is not mad at you for being a human being. Right? That would be such a toxic, manipulative, horrible God to Mm -hmm. make you a human being and then say, ugh, I hate her for being a human being. Yeah. You know, this reminds me, and we tell this story in in She Deserves Better, Um, but there's one story in one of the books that we reviewed Mm -hmm. of a woman who... Um, one of the authors who wrote this book told the story of how she had been dating her husband, her now husband, mm-hmm. um, for quite a while. And she felt like she had to break up with him because since she started dating him, she was spending less time doing devotions. Yes. And she was holding his hand during during the church instead, instead of, of looking up the scripture references. And there were other reasons. And I'm not saying that God didn't tell her that. There could have been other things going on in her life. But this assumption, this assumption that... If you do fewer devotions because you are dating, God is angry at you. And we need to prove to God that we love him more than we love other people by doing more devotions, by volunteering more. So as soon as you get a boyfriend, you actually have to do more at church than you did before to prove that he's not taking you away from God. It's just really toxic. And think we give that, we give that same messages to um, new moms too. Oh, just, just wake up earlier. Your babies are getting up at six o'clock in the morning. That's okay. You can just get up at five to do your devotions now. (laughs) You know, because we don't, you don't want, you don't want to, to love your kids more than God, because if you do love your kids more than God, then then your kids won't love God because you've said, up a bad example or, for them. Or you might lose your kids. Yeah, exactly. God might take them away. And we, we, we've we heard that. Yeah. I've had so many people tell me I was really scared that God would take my kids away because I was so overwhelmed by how much I loved them. Yeah. That I thought, oh no, God's going to see this. Yeah. And he's going to be upset that I love my kids more than I love him. And 
what kind of a view of God is that? Yeah. Because it's it's like this commenter said, you know, in him, we live and move and have our being. It's not that you love God less than you love your kids or your husband. It's that because of God and through God, we have love for other people. Yeah. And I think this idea that idolatry is, you know, this commenter said the, the issue is believing that idolatry is loving anything more than God. And we just have to reframe what we mean by loving. Mm-hmm. Right? Because like when we should not love in terms of our 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 heart's orientation, our life's orientation should not mm-hmm. be pointed to something other than God. Our life's orientation should not be pointed towards hoarding wealth, yes. right? Or towards hedonism mm-hmm. or towards like selfish pleasure, which I guess is just hedonism. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. multiple different ways of saying the word hedonism, okay? Right. <laughs> so our, our, our heart should be pointed towards God. Mm-hmm. And anything else is idolatry, yes. right? If we are seeking success, fame, power, money, whatever it is. The issue is that feeling in the moment an active, acute love for something more than we feel in the moment Mm -hmm. an active, acute love for God is not the same thing as idolatry. Mm -hmm. Unless we want to constantly be hyped up on mushrooms thinking about God, it is impossible to, like, like, it seems like what they want is to be able to constantly live in this, like, spiritual haze ecstasy state for Christ Mm -hmm. and for God instead of just actually doing what God says, which is just, Love your life, live your life as you love one another. And that's how you serve me, yeah. right? But this thought that we need to approach dating and marriage as an appeasement. Yes. So we have to prove to God that we love him more if we want to get married, if we want to have a boyfriend, can lead to so many unhealthy mm-hmm. behaviors. And as we as we said last week, it can also lead a lot of people to not get married who wanted to get married because they thought if I show any um, openness to a relationship... Mm-hmm. Then I am somehow sinning. And, and I God's going to see me be like, oh, she's not ready yet. Zap. Yeah, I can't you know. pursue a relationship because I'm just supposed to pursue God and trust God. Yeah. And then you don't realize this is all crazy until you're 35. Exactly. Um, and it, it really is a problem. We don't want to do this to our daughters. Well, and the other thing too is I look at that and I think of the verses like, you know, I should look it up. One second. <laughs> Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven good give, give good gifts to those who ask him? Mm-hmm. This is the Christ, this is the God that Jesus taught us about. The God that Jesus taught us about says, hey, your people, and frankly, people are dumb and kind of bad, okay? Right. Like, people don't do things great all the time. Right. And you know that if your kid is asking you for food, you're not going to give them a poisonous creature. Right. Like, you're not going to hurt your kids, okay? Right. God's better than you. <laughs> yeah. So like all of us are like, I love my kids so much. I love my kids too much. I love my husband too much. I love this too much. This good thing that God has given me. I feel so much love for this thing. And so I'm scared God's going to take it. God is not a father who gives you a stone or a snake. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, what we forget is there are so many verses. Christ came to offer supreme comfort to people about who God was. Christ came to be God incarnate, to show us what God's love looks like. And God never looked at someone and said, ah, you love your kid too much and killed their kid. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, when Abraham tried to do that. God stopped him. God stopped him. Yeah. And and I we need to we need to remember that. Um I, I think about all the women listening 
and I, I've heard people go through this too, you know, who are dealing with infertility mm-hmm. and they think, well, the only way to get pregnant is to show God that, that I'm okay without kids and that <sighs> they're not an idol in my life. Um, I remember when my son, um, who passed away when he was sick, you know, thinking, okay, how can I work myself up to believing enough that he's going to be better? Yeah. Um, so that God, as if, as if we have to appease God yeah. and, you know, God does want to give us good gifts. Yes, we live in a fallen world. We're not always going to get what we want. But isn't it wonderful to know that God can sit with us in that disappointment rather than feeling like we have to hide the disappointment from God because then we'll never get what we need. Or if God is sitting with this disappointment feeling like he's just saying, I told you so, or you brought this upon yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, these are some of the messages that we told our girls when it came to dating that really messed a lot of us up (laughs) in your generation, especially. And we don't want that for our daughters. So we just wanted to share that because I think there, as we found on social media this week, there, there is a lot of pain out there. There is. And I just encourage you, if you've been trying to sort through, you know, your view of God and um, what you really think God is like. Uh, I had Crispin Mayfield on the podcast, I think it was last year, talking about attachment. It's weird how quickly it went by, but yeah, it was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, so go check out that podcast episode, Attached to God with Crispin Mayfield. That was really um, good, and that can help you too if you're struggling in this. Mm-hmm. But now, let's bring on our co-author, mm-hmm. Joanna Sawatsky. Uh, wish she deserves better, and we're going to tell you about some more findings from our book. Well, we are here to give you some more data and fun findings from She Deserves Better. So I am joined by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello, hello. And from Edmonton, Alberta, across the country, we have Joanna Sawatsky. Hi, everybody. So Joanna is our stats person and the one who does all the magic with our numbers. Um, And so we want to share with you one of the weirder concepts that we measured that Mm -hmm. may not seem obvious as to why we measured it but it actually tells a really interesting story. So we want to bring you guys along on a story that is going to involve people making stuff up in the eighties. It's going to involve it always does. Something always does. It's going it's going to involve mental load. It's going to involve um, uh, all kinds of neat and neat things. So here we go. We are going to talk about the measure of the belief that girls talk too much. So Mm -hmm. Rebecca, why don't you explain why you wanted to include this in the study? Okay. So I heard this all the time growing up, Uh right? But the biggest reason that I wanted to really include this was that as we were uh, looking through uh, materials that young girls were reading in the early aughts, like in the nineties, that kind of thing, I kept on running into this idea in Brio magazine Mm because I was reading so many old editions of this. And there was this section they had where it's like, you know, guys said or guy talk or something Mm -hmm. where they would interview these like, you know, missionary kids (laughs) that were all guys around the world or they'd interview dudes who were involved in a missions trip with focus on the family. And it would be like, Brett, 14, thanks. And it was supposed to be like, it was... Honestly, I struggle to understand why I would thought this is a good idea because mm-hmm. no one should be listening to advice on things from 14-year-olds. Um, yes. But yes. anyway, uh, there was one where almost every single response uh-huh. had something about girls talking too much in it. So I was like, mm-hmm. what do you look for in a girl? You know, a girl doesn't talk too much. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, Or, you know, what do you wish girls knew? We just wish that you knew that when you talk all the time, it makes it hard for us to feel like you really listen. And, it, mm-hmm. and every single response was something like that was girls talk too much, except mm-hmm. for the one that was an accidental innuendo that was just 
mm-hmm. the folks and family needed some people who had actually been to public school to uh, vet yes. some of their stuff because they asked guys the, why they why they spit and they said because they don't want to swallow it. Yes. Um, and that was a problem. <laughs> but anyway, it's just pause. Like, anyway, like that, that's just a throwaway line, Rebecca. Just put in the podcast. Yeah. Everyone's going. Excuse me. Yeah, I know. No, so, exactly. There was a question. Why do guys spit so much? Answer: Because we don't want to swallow it. Yeah, that was it. Um, anyway, this is the kind of article I was reading um, over and over again. But throughout Brio magazine, girls are told about making sure that you aren't upstaging people, making sure that you're being demure, making sure that in essence, you're, you're seen mm-hmm. and not heard. Right. Right. And this is the, the recurring concept that we saw in a lot of books and a lot of articles. And I also remember having many, many boys in evangelicalism telling, like, not just me, but my friends, you talk too much when... We weren't objectively, we were still talking less. Okay. And then when we looked for one of the things that we wanted to measure in this study was an idea of, and this is going to, this is going to sound complicated. Okay. But something which researchers call internalized misogyny. Mm -hmm. And who wants to explain what that is? Internalized misogyny is when women have internalized the belief that we are less capable, less worthy, uh, you know, less trustworthy, whatever it is. We are less than men. Right. But internalized is when women take it upon themselves. So now mm-hmm. it's not just that men are telling us that we're not worthy. It's also that women believe that we are not worthy. Right. And so when we were looking for measures of internalized misogyny, this idea of, of women's voices kept coming up. So we put this in as one of the questions. Did you believe girls talk too much? Did you believe it as a teen? And did you believe, do you believe it now? And Joanna, what did we find? So 52.1% of women believed the girls talked too much when they were in high school and 15.8% still believe it today. Right. Okay. So, so that's like over half uh-huh. believed it in high school. The girls talked too much. Now we don't want to give away everything. So they're in the book. We show how this is related to a lot of different measures that, mm-hmm. that really hurt girls, but let's just give you two data points. Okay. So what have you got for us, Joanna? Okay. Women who believed in high school that girls talk too much were twice as likely to have below average self-esteem in high school. And those mm-hmm. self-esteem effects actually continue to the present day. Yeah. She's also 23% more likely to be dissatisfied with how much housework her husband does. Right. Which is a funny finding. We're going to get to that one in a minute because I want to unpack mm-hmm. that one. But let's just listen. A lot of the things that we were measuring and she deserves better were about self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I don't I don't know that people necessarily understand how big a deal that is mm-hmm. because we think self-esteem is just like, are you happy? Are you confident? And it doesn't, it doesn't Do seem you like think you huge... look pretty in selfies. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But actually low self-esteem is highly correlated with a lot of negative stuff. Mm-hmm. Like low self-esteem is actually correlated with like, you know, later mental health, your relationship health, whether you're going to make good decisions or not. Like, yeah. Uh, in essence, self-esteem can be used as a measure of emotional kind of stability and health as well. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very all-encompassing measure. And I'm sure, you know, any parent who is a parent of a teenager or who remembers what it was like to be a teenager, it's, it's not difficult to understand why self-esteem has such a big impact because yeah. it, it changes what decisions you make. Yeah. And so that's why we, we really drilled down. We used a lot of um, uh, previously validated self-esteem mm-hmm. um uh sets of questions in our survey and and yeah and so the self-esteem stuff was important but what yeah. we really want to talk about today is the housework because it's kind of a funny finding and I know Joanna you and I were on the phone I remember we were or we were on FaceTime and we found this housework thing and we were like I wonder if we could drill down further and so explain and- what we did 
Mm -hmm. So thank you to all the people who filled out the survey because <laughs> we have so many people who responded. I can run the fun stats. Yeah. It deep in the cross tabs. Um, so we looked at couples where both of them work outside the home. Okay. Women who believe that girls talk too much are twice as likely to do the vast majority of their housework when compared to women who have never believed that girls talk too much. And that's, in, and that's of women who are also working a full-time job. So husband and wife are both working probably around the same amount of hours in a week. Mm -hmm. And she's still doing the vast majority of the work at home. Yeah. yeah. Because, and, and it's interesting how highly this is correlated with the belief that girls talk too much. Yeah. Okay. So then what else? When women believed it in high school, but they don't now, they are 30% more likely to have an even split in the uh, household labor than those who still believe that girls talk too much. Mm -hmm. And they were 16% less likely to have an even split than those who never believed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's like getting rid of the belief is helpful, but it doesn't eradicate it doesn't eradicate all yeah, of the everyone. consequences yeah. of, of believing it at all. Yeah. And it, it may for if you are a person who deconstructed it, you and your spouse may have both deconstructed. Right. Yes. And so then there may be more parity. But if maybe only the wife deconstructed, right, that mm -hmm. can happen a lot. So this is one of those times where it's like it's an aggregate measure, but I don't know how much the aggregate is actually capturing the variety of different experiences that are going to be found, mm -hmm. especially yeah, it in might that be that, like, if you deconstruct it, it might end up that, yeah, it's, it's either great or like it deconstructs, but still your spouse doesn't get on board. It's more like mm -hmm. you might be in this group and your, your chances of being in the, in the good group mm -hmm. are lower, even mm -hmm. if you've deconstructed. Yeah. And that's what we have to talk about because what this does, what we think this does mm -hmm. is does a couple of different things. Yeah. Like let, let's just, let's just go yeah. into why in the world does the belief that girls talk too much impact how much housework you do like two decades later when you're married. Yeah. And <laughs> I think the first one is that it, it tells women what their place is. Their mm -hmm. place is to not be inconvenient to men. Right. And what's inconvenient to men? Mm -hmm. Having to do housework. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're raising girls to think you talk too much, then what's the measure of too much? Yeah. Right? Like, what's the measure? Is the measure just more than what the men around you think is appropriate? Mm -hmm. And so then when you're getting married, if you believe, yeah, I talk too much, and then you're more likely to marry a man who also believes, yeah, you talk too much. Mm-hmm you're already primed to end up with a guy who doesn't value your voice. Yes. And the kinds of men who don't value women's voices are definitely not eager to take on the lion's share of the mental load in the family. Right. You right. know? So I think it's just one of those things where we're setting our young girls up to just be like prime pickings for men who want to take advantage of a woman in marriage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it seems like a strange thing to be so correlated with housework, mm -hmm. but it really was. So mm -hmm. here's the thing. Do girls talk too much? Like, I think that that that's a legitimate, a legitimate question, question to ask. Like, yeah. do women talk more than men? So what we did, we, we did a deep dive into this. Yeah. Um, we found a number of articles that mm -hmm. were looking at how much women talk. And we found a number of claims, a number of articles that traced the claim about how much men talk versus how much women talk. So guess who it starts with? <laughs> We'll give you guys one guess because at this <laughs> Single point, guess if you've listened to our podcast for a while or read Great Sex Rescue, you might be able to have a very good guess. Who is someone who might have made up something out and not cited a story in the 70s and 80s? And if you've guessed, 
James Dobson. You are right. So in his 1983 book, Love for a Lifetime, which was published, it had several different editions that it went through. Um, The earliest one we could find was 1983. Um, But in that book, he said that women say 50,000 words a day, while men say only 25,000. And, and he, he would tell the story of how a man would get home from work and he's already said his 25,000, but a woman may have only said 10,000. And so she's just bombarding him with words and she needs to learn to be quiet because this is too much for him to handle. And, and we hear about this a lot. We hear that kind of advice. So that was Dobson in 1983. And then who's next? Okay. So in additional pulling numbers out of thin air, uh, <laughs> Gary Smalley claims that women speak 25,000 words a day to men's 12,000. Okay, so we have different numbers. Mm -hmm. I suspect that he just remembered that one of the numbers was (laughs) (laughs) 25,000. And then remembered it was half. Yeah. Is I and then I, round dive, it down. I, I did the deep dive into this and I found a number of articles where people were trying to find the citations because we're we're quoting what was said in Christian books, but this was also said, like this went into the news media, it went into like women's magazines, this idea, and nobody had any citations. And so there were all these scientists trying to find the citation. And then we have the one that actually prompted a lot of research. So do you yeah. want to do this one? Oh yeah. Our good buddy Luann Brezendine, who yes. is a pop psychology neuropsychiatrist who Mm -hmm. consistently writes books that are, to be generous, a grandiose imagination of what the research could say Mm -hmm. um, and calls them science-based. So she claims- It's never good when nature writes a book review of your book panning it. Yeah. Yeah, Like when the best journal out there is like, this is so important that we demolish the bad idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like this is how bad it like there's a there's a you have to pass a really high bar. Yeah, before right. nature and, and, is going to take reason, on your book. The reason that Luann Brizendine might sound familiar to all of you is because Gary Thomas quotes her a lot in his book. Even though the research that he quotes from her is already outdated by psycho- by psychiatry yeah. standards. And also she's been widely panned in the academic right. literature. But, so, he, but, he holds but on she's to convenient it. because right. see, she says that men can't help but be ravenous sexual pigs. Yes. And so see, she's convenient. So that's why we mm-hmm. still promote her in right. evangelical circles. Anyway, so she said on the original dust cover for her book, The Female Brain, that women say 20,000 words a day to men's 7,000. Right. So 7,000. So 20,000. So this is more than 50%. So this yes. is bigger. This is almost three times. Yes. Again, no citation. no citation. No citation. And she claimed that she got it from, I believe, like a study of children, but but people couldn't find it. And so she actually had to take that claim off the dust cover in subsequent yeah. Um, what I think I is happening as someone who did study cognitive development psychology pretty intensely is what I think is happening is there is lots of study. There are lots of studies that show that girls tend to have higher vocabularies and um, develop their language capacity before boys. Mm-hmm. So they tend to be ahead in language. They have mm-hmm. more words. They speak earlier. Their word, they tend to have better diction in a lot of times. Like there's just a lot of different mm-hmm. things. However, the community, the research community is also asking, but why? Is it that there is something inherent about women where you can't even get a two-year-old to stop talking? Like, yeah. is it is it a, a, a reason like that? Or is it just that we are more likely to do things that encourage speech with girls? Mm-hmm. Like we are more, we, we expect girls to sit down and read a story with mommy and mm-hmm. we send boys into the backyard. 
Right. Right. Like we expect girls to want to sing songs. And like, and I can say this, even as someone who did baby um, swimming lesson classes, like the, uh, the, the, the parents of little boys uh, were not quite as into the song sometimes, like often as the parents of little girls, because the little girls were expected to want to do the actions and the boys are expected to want to jump into the water. Right. Right. It's like, I think there's also a level where I, this is what we talked about when I was in school that we had debates about this, um, all the time, whenever we talked about uh, the differences in the sexes and how they develop and cognitive mm-hmm. issues, is, is this a biological difference or is it that every kid has the capacity for like language development and we simply stoke it more in girls than in boys and we just mm-hmm. kind of let boys figure it out along the way a little bit more and so they are a little bit more behind. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so so I've got two big studies to share. Yeah. The first one is a meta-analysis. Yay. We all love meta-analysis. Joanna, do you want to explain what a meta-analysis is? Kate, so you roll up to your first day of class talking about study design. I don't know what class it is. Maybe you're in a psychology class. Maybe it's sociology. Maybe you're in public health. I don't know. But what are they going to do? They're going to show you a slide. And on the slide is going to be all the different kinds of studies. And they're going to start with a case report, which is where you go, huh, there was somebody. They were kind of different. Let's talk about it. And then you go work your way up. And then the top, the creme de la creme, the best kind of study for figuring out anything is a meta-analysis, which is where you bring a bunch of different studies together, look at all of their stats, you crunch a bunch of numbers, it's a bunch of really fancy stats that people who do meta-analyses will do, to try to, to aggregate all of those studies to kind of come to a consensus answer, to summarize the literature, and also to... Um, get a point estimate, like a a statistical estimation that brings in the data from all of the different studies. Mm -hmm. It's a very big job to do them. I have so like, it's, I'm kind of in awe of meta-analyses. But yeah, they are the gold standard. Right. Okay. So let me tell you about this meta-analysis. It was done on, on all of the um, uh, studies about speech and children. Mm -hmm. Okay. And gender differences. And so what they were looking at um, was three different measures. They were looking at talkativeness, affiliative speech and assertive speech Mm -hmm. and statistically significant average effect sizes were obtained with all three language constructs on average girls were slightly more talkative and used more affiliative speech than did boys whereas boys used more assertive speech than did girls however the average effect sizes were either negligible or small Mm -hmm. so not a big deal in children okay now what about adults (laughs) so here's a story of uh, when Luanne Brissendine's book came out with that finding, a bunch of scientists um, at a university were like, where the heck did she get this? I know. And I've, I've read the article in Scientific American telling this story of how they were like, I, we just don't even see any citations. Like they went on this, on this big, because you can't see what doesn't exist. Yes, they went on this <laughs> big deep dive. They found the Brizendine stuff. They found the Dobson, like they found all of this stuff with all of these claims with no backing. And so they decided that they were going to do a study. Um, and so, so they, uh, they, had recorders on both men and women. Yeah, they actually studied it. Yeah, they, they just listened, studied. They listened to men and women, and here's what they found. In most of the samples, the average number of words spoken by men and women were about the same. Men showed a slightly wider variability in words uttered and boasted both the most economical speaker with roughly 500 words daily and <laughs> the most verbose yapping at a whopping set 47,000 words a day. <laughs> 
But in the end, the sexes came out just about even. Women at 16,215 words and men at 15,669. In terms of statistical significance, it's not even remotely close to different. Yep, exactly. And so when you look at all those things, like men speak half the amount of women, citation, misogyny. It's it's not anything real. Yeah. And so here's their conclusion in the Scientific American article writing about this this study in in the journal Science. As for the legend's origins that women talk too much, University of Pennsylvania linguistics professor Mark Lieberman speculated in a blog last year, my current best guess is that a marriage counselor invented this (laughs) particular meme about 15 years ago, it was actually longer, as a sort of parable for couples with certain communication problems and others have picked it up and spread it while modulating the numbers to suit their tastes. Yeah. Okay. So conclusion one, girls do not talk more than more than boys. Yeah. Okay. Here's another study, which I found fascinating. Um, and this is the, it's quite a famous study. It's the Mendelberg and Karpowitz experiments from Cambridge university. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's what they did. So they got a bunch of male and female students, and they put them in groups of five. And all of these groups had, well, not all, but, but they, they arranged them with different gendered, gendered groups. So some had like five men, some had five women, some had one man, four women, some had four men, one woman, like as, like as many different as you can make, as you can make. Okay. And they told them that what they were there to do was to figure out the most equitable way to do something like economic redistribution. So they they were going to have like these, like they were given a problem and they had three hours or however long it was to, to study the problem and come up with a solution. So they were supposed to be debating all of this in their group of five and come up with something. Yeah. They weren't told that the real purpose of the study was to see how often men and women talk in groups of different gender dynamics. All right. So they were just told they were supposed to do this. So a couple of interesting findings. First of all, on the whole, men were overwhelmingly more likely to be rated as the most influential Mm -hmm. in a group and and the one who uh, talked the most. But I want I want to read to you um, one of the one of the one of the findings. Um, Equality would suggest that each person in a group of five has the floor twenty percent of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So if everyone's speaking equally, they would speak twenty percent of the time. But it took not just a female majority, but a super majority, meaning four out of five, for women to finally speak their proportionate talking time. At best outnumbered women in the study spoke three quarters of the time a man spoke. On average, women spoke just two thirds as much as a man and missing voices means missing perspectives. A lone female spoke the least. A lone male, nothing will hold him back. (laughs) Karpowitz and and Mendelberg found men are willing and eager to jump into conversations and they come with a level of confidence where they just expect themselves to be influential. They go for it no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And so this is this is the thing. We're all told that we talk too much when mm-hmm. in reality, our voices are way more likely to be ignored or suppressed. Mm-hmm. And so when people say girls talk too much, what they're really saying is I don't want to listen to you. Yeah. They're not actually saying you're talking too much. They're saying you're in my way. Mm-hmm. Let's just think about that. Okay. So the only way that a woman will speak that's as, much, as, as a much as a man is if 80% of the group is female. Yep. 
even six, even, even 60% of the group is not enough to have women speak equally. And if women are the minority in the group, they just don't get a lot of words in. Yeah. They get, yeah. 66%, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so think about how women's voices have been silenced. Yep. You know, it's not that women talk too much. It's really that we don't talk enough in many cases. And I think that we don't talk enough because men have not been taught to listen to women. Men have instead Mm -hmm. been told women are there and they're taking your, Mm -hmm. they're taking, you're taking the attention and time from you. And it's just frustrating that we have to support this feminist agenda. And Mm -hmm. that's what men are told genuinely. And I know it's happening in the church because we hear it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I always get told that I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the feminist agenda and I just want, you know, women to be over men. I said, no, like, look at what's happening. (laughs) But okay, so here here's another thing though. This idea of like if you if we look at it from another perspective of whether women talk too much and 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 you know men don't. Mm-hmm. Um, just a simple measure, okay. On the MBTI, the Myers Briggs Personality Type Indicator, yeah. uh, they one of the the spectrums. I don't know what one of the what do you call it? One of the the measures constructs constructs yeah is is extroversion versus introversion yeah and that's not completely correlated with how much you talk um so I'm oversimplifying this and I understand that I'm oversimplifying. But you're this. not well, the reason that we're talking about extroversion and introverts is that most of the marriage materials and the advice assumes a husband to be an introvert who does not want to talk and assumes a wife to be a talkative, chatty extrovert. Exactly. So that's why we're simplifying it, is because we're just going with the assumptions that evangelicalism has right. given us. Yeah. And and there there certainly is more, there certainly is a tilt in one direction, but it's not huge. No. Okay. So if you look at um women, 55% are extroverts, 45% are introverts. Mm-hmm. And for men, 42% are extroverts and 58% are introverts. Yeah. So it's not huge. It's not a huge difference. It is not a huge difference. We're not talking like 80 and 20 and then 20 and 80. Like, hmm. you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, the other thing is, so this would not, a lot of pe- couples therefore are not going to fit into that mold that evangelicalism has for them. Right. Exactly. Most couples will not. And additionally, this is a really helpful thing, but it's also like the Myers-Briggs isn't super statistically valid. Like it's not a this isn't a measure of talkativeness that's utilized in studies evaluating the mm-hmm. effect of talkativeness exactly. on outcomes. This is a really helpful personality typology. And even here we see a very subtle, still present, but subtle difference in the genders based on um introversion versus extroversion. Yeah. But what do we hear in marriage books? Think about, and and a couple of weeks ago, we did Joanna and Nijay Gupta. And I looked at all the different ways that Emerson Egrich misused scripture in the book, Love and Respect. And one of the things he does over and over and over again, I think his favorite verse is to win him without words. You know, in first Peter three, where wives are told to win him without words. And he says that over and over again, like, don't speak. Yeah. <laughs> right? Literally the worst thing a woman could have is words. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, if you have something that you need to bring up to your husband. Well, and every time that he talks about women, he talks about a nagging quarrelsome wife. So again, words, words. opinions. That she is saying too much and you're not supposed to bring anything up. You're only supposed to speak two to three sentences every 10 to 20 days. Limit your words. If you have something that you are upset at him about because your words are bothersome to him yeah. and they're mm-hmm. disrespectful. Um, in, in one of the chapters where he's giving advice to women on men, um, he's talking about how he just wants you to be there without talking. Mm-hmm. So it says, you know, she wants to talk to be close, but in this chapter, we see the natural bent of the male is to be shoulder to shoulder with a lot less talking. 
Um, just as sometimes he must make the effort to be with you face to face, you must also make the effort to be with him shoulder to shoulder. When he calls you to be with him and you just do it with little or no talking, you will see the energy flow into him. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely not true. Like there are going to be some people who just really crave that togetherness without having to have the mental, you know, the mental effort of conversation. Like I, I know lots of people who are very introverted or even just a little bit of who are just really tired, who just want to sit on the couch and just kind of be together while you each read books separately. That sounds lovely. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Connor and I do the whole millennial thing where we'll sit and each be looking at memes and text them to each other on yeah. the couch, right? <laughs> like, like there is a good, and there's a good time for this. Sometimes we'll clean the house and both have our podcasts on in our ears. So we're not talking, but we're doing it together. And it's, it makes the load lighter. Mm -hmm. This is not a sex thing, like mm -hmm. a gender thing. Yes. This is just a people thing. And the fact that it's her words that are the problem mm -hmm. versus there being different things that feed into a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not about his words are ever a problem. It's not ever that she's touched out. She's exhausted from hearing the kids ask, mommy, why, mommy, why, mommy, why, mommy, why for 18 hours straight? <laughs> like, because you know, they don't sleep because they're asking mommy, why they don't have time to sleep. And like, it, there's nothing about that. There's no understanding that she might also just want to just relax. Yeah. yeah. But also the idea that him going face to face, having a conversation with her, something he has to brace himself to do is so problematic. <laughs> Again, these guys have no concept of balance. <laughs> like there's no concept of balance here. Like just because sometimes you're not in the mood for deep, heartfelt conversations doesn't mean it's normal to never be in the mood for deep, heartfelt conversations. Mm -hmm. Just because sometimes you're tired after work doesn't mean that you're excused for being a misogynistic piece of work who doesn't want to hear his wife talking because, oh my goodness, she's so naggy. Like yeah. You don't get to get away with this because sometimes you want the other thing. And we yeah. can't just call it God's design and allow men to remain emotionally stunted and misogynistic and believe this kind of crap when yeah. instead we just tell people... Be decent human beings for Pete's sake. Yeah. Like you had roommates <laughs> in college, right? Like, you know, other human beings, right? Yeah. Like you have friends, right? Yeah. Like you talk to people, right? So maybe don't treat your wife like a piece of cow poop compared to the other people in your life. You actually treat with consideration. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Anyway. <laughs> so when I was in high school, I took a class at uh, the University of Pittsburgh. There was a grant that let me do it for free, which was really nice. So I rolled up to Russian fairy tales. And in Russian fairy tales, strangely, we read Grimm's fairy tales because there wasn't a lot of scholarship on specifically Russian fairy tales. It's a bit dubious. But anyway, we read this uh, reading of Cinderella and other fairy tales. And my head exploded. And I, I have not recovered. Like, I, I, I sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this job? And then I remember that day at Pitt reading that article. And I think this is why I'm doing all of the things. And they looked at the Grimm's fairy tales. And what they found is that the least talkative characters so they, it, are the heroines. So Cinderella yes. will not say, I am afraid. She will cry out. Right? The, the, the story does not actually report her speech. The most talkative characters are the evil stepmother and the evil witches throughout <laughs> yep. fairy tales. 
So what is a woman supposed to aspire to? She is supposed to aspire to be a demure heroine to whom the story happens, who is rescued as a damsel in distress and who does not speak. Yeah. Yeah. And it hasn't changed. Like ultimately these ideas come to us from fairy tales, fairy tales, which are overtly misogynistic and uh, just like behind the times. Yeah. 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 And so this is something that many of us grew up with feeling like girls talk too much. Girls talk more than boys. There isn't, there isn't evidence for that, but here's something else really interesting that we ran. Do you want to explain this one, Joanna? So we also looked at how the girls talk too much idea correlates with the different modesty messages that we looked at. We actually looked at modesty using four different uh, statements because we really wanted to understand how that plays out in in the lives of, of girls and women. And we actually found that they are extremely correlated to each other. So you're three or four times more likely if you believe that girls talk too much to believe each of the four modesty messages that we measured. Yeah. Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because what that really says is that you can say like the girls talk too much as you should be seen and not heard. But the modesty message says you shouldn't even be seen. Right. <laughs> so the modesty message and the girls talk too, mes- too much message, but they both say is you, how you are, your opinions, your body, everything about you is inconvenient and dangerous to men. Mm-hmm. So girls just simply need to be erased from the equation. They shouldn't mm-hmm. be heard and they shouldn't be seen, you know, yeah. because the whole point of the modesty message is about not drawing attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Which we don't disagree with the idea of not drawing undue attention to ourselves, but any of us who grew up with the modesty message can attest that it wasn't just about not drawing attention to yourself as in like, don't post a bunch of like butt pics on or Instagram. Don't brag. Don't yeah. brag. It, it was that. about don't be noticed. Mm-hmm. It was about become part of the background, be humble, but in a toxic way, not in a be truthful about yourself and don't mm-hmm. be proud, but in a don't let other people think about you. Mm-hmm. Like you need to obey. You need to be underneath. You need to make sure that your, your presence is not affecting anyone mm-hmm. instead of telling other people, Hey, maybe you need to make room for girls. And maybe you need to like learn how to not be a creep around girls who have girls bodies. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like this, th- they were not told that because mm-hmm. we were the problem. Yeah. We talk too much. We take space from boys. We have breasts that offends the boys, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just something we see over and over and over again, that women are not only to be seen, not heard. They are neither to be seen nor heard. Yeah. And here's what we concluded. I'm going to read you. This is from She Deserves Better. And this is how we concluded this. If girls talk too much is a well-established measure of internalized misogyny and the modesty message corresponds with it so consistently, then perhaps the modesty mm-hmm. message is also a sign of internalized misogyny. After all, the modesty message prioritizes men's comfort. It says men's needs to be free of temptation and discomfort are greater than women's needs to be free of shame, objectification, and harassment. Once again, men matter more than women. And in She Deserves Better, really a lot of the questions we're asking of mothers come down to, have you given informed consent to the kinds of things your daughter might be exposed to? Mm -hmm. Or are we just closing our eyes and hoping that it'll all be okay? 
Because yeah. a lot of moms, if you actually take a second and you step back and you're like, yeah, it's weird that my 25-year-old youth pastor is policing the fact that my daughter wore shorts that he thinks are too short. Like mm-hmm. that's a, that should be a red flag. Yes. Okay? And we will talk about the whole modesty thing yeah. on a different podcast. Like, We're going to go into this in depth. But, like when we but, actually yeah. think about these things, it makes sense that it should be weird that our daughters are in churches where their voices are not only not encouraged, they're actively taught to silence them, to dampen them for the sake of the boys who have just as much opportunity to speak as the Mm -hmm. girls. You know, instead of empowering everyone to use their voice, we're telling girls, this is not your place. And mothers who are honestly thinking about this, I I really believe you can see what's wrong with that. So this is really about opening your eyes, having informed consent Mm -hmm. and not just assuming everything is safe because it says it's a Christian church. It always seems like it's James Dobson who makes this stuff up. Every single book, we can count on there being one ridiculous factoid that James Dobson came up one day while brushing his teeth or in the shower. He was like, yeah, that's a great way to increase misogyny on this planet. And then, and it, then, just, and then it just like goes out like bread upon the waters. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know. Everywhere. This man's ability to just promote absolute trash garbage that's not based in evidence is ridiculous. Yeah, and so that's our plea, right? Like, let's just get evidence Evidence. Based. Jesus said you can recognize them by their fruit. If this guy had been held to even the most basic standards of having to cite his sources, none of this would have happened. Exactly. And let's keep our heads on straight. Yes. <laughs> let's not ignore data. Um, a lot of stuff has been going on in social media that in the is last two weeks. an understatement. <laughs> yes. Um, my social media has blown up because there's been some really big stories going on in evangelicalism that haven't been part of this podcast. And so if you listen to this podcast, but you don't follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, I would really encourage you to go take a look because there has been a whole mess of things. Um. <sighs> I don't even know where to start. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, there was the pastor. There was the 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 pastor, Jonathan who, Pecluda, who yep. objectified women in his sermons, and I I said quite Discussed a bit about that. that. Yeah. Um. There was that horrible article by the Gospel Coalition that compared the Holy Spirit to and and if anyone hasn't read it, you will not believe me. But this literally, who yeah. compared the Holy Spirit to semen? Yes, it was it was very 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 bizarre, very bizarre, um, and very very objectifying and horrible. And a lot yeah. of scholars saying very blasphemous. Too. Yeah, so they did they did pull the article. The book that it was based on is still being published as yes. of the, today. When but they're we're just this. throwing the author under the bus instead of dealing with yeah, we yeah. have a problem with seeing women as sex objects. They're like, no, just him. yeah. So some of you may have seen my name around because I kind of got in the middle of it. So now I'm being quoted in different places. So yeah. again, just do follow me on Twitter so that you don't but miss also, some of this. The, what we're saying, what, the reason we're bringing this up is also to take heart that two big things happened where women were horrifically objectified, were totally seen as just sex mm-hmm. toys. It was yeah. disgusting. And both of them had to apologize and retract because there's actually a movement now where you are not able to say these things without pushback anymore. Exactly. And so thank you to everyone who pushed back. Yes. And who joined us on social media on that. And we were not the only ones talking about this either. Yeah. But the more that people are, are saying mm-hmm. no more, the more likely it is that the people who are spouting this kind of take where women are seen as objects will be seen as a liability, mm-hmm. not as theologically savvy. Exactly. And you know what? We all 
deserve better than that. Everyone. Everyone deserves better than that. And our book, She Deserves Better, launches April 18th. It does. You can pre-order it now. And on March 13th, which is next Monday. I can't believe it's already next Monday. I know. Our launch team launches. And uh, for those of you who are on the Great Sex Rescue launch team, it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. We have an exclusive Facebook group. We have weekly um, Facebook Lives where we talk about stuff. Yeah, and we're already can... preparing like a, a huge webinar to go over like kind of the, the really nitpicky stuff in our findings that's so interesting and are, and are answering a lot of the questions that we get in our comments all the yeah, time. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. We've got some pre-order bonuses about deconstruction and yeah. modesty. And of course, if you join our launch team, you get access to the book right away. So um, all you need to do is pre-order anywhere yeah. and then just take a screenshot of your receipt um, or forward me your receipt. The email address is in the links in the podcast notes. So you yeah. can just forward that. And then on Monday, on March 13th, you'll get invited to the Facebook group mm -hmm. and more instructions to come. So it's super fun. We would love to see as many people there as possible. Yeah. And remember when you pre-order the book, it helps us too, because it means more online retailers order lots of copies. Yes. Um, it can become a bestseller in some of its categories and that encourages bookstores to order it in as well. And it also guarantees you get the lowest price. Yes. Because if the price drops because of lots and lots of orders, then you will, um, yeah, you'll get that lowest price. So, exactly. So helps us a ton. Get the word out about She Deserves Better. And we're really excited to share even more findings with you next week on the Bear Marriage Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>